This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. It was 1973, and the university towns of London and Guelph, Ontario, were experiencing an unusual number of break-ins and sexual assaults. Some women were reporting that they had been awoken by a strange man standing over them in their bedrooms, watching them sleep, while others had been assaulted and choked before their attacker fled. All of the women were alone, and all of them lived in apartments. And then, three young women died unexpectedly in their sleep. There was no forced entry into their apartments, and there were no signs of a struggle. So the police and the coroner ruled that their deaths were attributed to natural causes. Life in the southern Ontario towns moved on. In the summer of 1974, Doris Ethel Brown had recently moved into a new home after a divorce. With the end of her 30-year marriage, the 49-year-old mother of five was looking forward to a fresh start. She had rented a second-floor apartment in a building at 186 Edinburgh Road in Guelph for herself and her two daughters, Laura and Colleen. On the night of August 8th, Doris's younger daughter Colleen was visiting relatives, so she and her eldest daughter Laura enjoyed a quiet evening together. Laura was excited because the next day the 16 year old was going to get her learner's driving permit. That evening was hot and humid, so Doris decided to leave her balcony door open a little when she went to bed. The following morning, Laura woke up to the sound of her mom's alarm clock going off in the next room. She looked at her bedside clock and assumed they had both overslept. Laura went in to wake up her mom, but when she approached her bedside, she immediately knew something was wrong. Doris was in her bed with the blankets tucked up underneath her chin but she wasn't moving. Laura called her aunt and uncle who lived nearby. 
but there was nothing anyone could do. Doris Brown was dead. 47 years later, Laura has not forgotten the night her mother died. And while her memories are extremely painful, she agreed to speak with me from her home in Western Canada. So, uh, first of all, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. I know it's obviously a very, very difficult topic, but one that I'm sure you're not really interested in revisiting. No, but it won't go away, so mm-hmm. best to just take it as it comes, I guess. After Laura and her aunt and uncle discovered her mother, they contacted the family doctor, and Doris's body was removed from the apartment. Assuming she had died in her sleep, the police were never called. A subsequent autopsy revealed small abrasions to the throat and some small amounts of blood on the body. The coroner ultimately ruled that Doris Brown had died from natural causes. He concluded that she had passed away in her sleep of pulmonary edema, fluid in the lungs. The blood evidence on the body was ignored. But the autopsy results never seemed to make sense for the family. I I don't know. It seems a bit sloppy. (laughs) There's nothing they could have done for my mom, but they could have been looking. It It seemed ridiculous, but I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Do you remember what you were told at the time? I wasn't told anything at the time. I heard people were saying that mom had committed suicide. Because my dad left, right? And, you know, it was the 70s, and what woman could possibly survive without her husband, right? But Laura was not satisfied with that answer. So I got a job uh, cleaning offices, and I made enough money to fly back and talk to the doctor. And he, he, told, he, he told me it was like a crib death. And then he said, she probably willed herself to die because your dad left. And I'm not even kidding. Yeah. I swear that's what he said. He was an old, old family doctor, and he said it was like a crib death. Yeah. So that was a huge waste of a flight. I bet men never die of crib death. Laura was devastated by what the doctor said. But as a teenager, there was little she could do. And no one else was challenging the medical authorities. So when the police called two years later, there was little that could have prepared her for what they had to say. So imagine our our shock when two years later you'd find out the, the real reason. It's still very difficult for Laura to talk about finding out the truth of her mother's death. My dad's brother called my dad in Calgary. And I just happened to be at dad's house that day. But yeah, I better not. Okay, yeah. Laura had just discovered that her 49-year-old mother had been murdered in her bed in the middle of the night while Laura had been asleep in the next room. The police had arrested Russell Johnson for three murders, and he had confessed to killing four other women 
including her mother. Sadly, Laura remembers very little about her mother. The thing is, I don't really remember very much about her. Like you imagine if you didn't talk to your mother from the time you were 15 and you were separated from your family, how much would you remember? Yeah. It would be very difficult. She was a, she was, you know, what am I supposed to say? She was a good person. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's all you need to say. Right. I, it's just, it would be fiction because I don't really remember that much about her. She, she was involved in church. She was a good mom. When Doris Brown was murdered by Russell Johnson, she had just started a new chapter in her life. She had been a stay-at-home mother, had raised five children, and was on her own for the first time as a single parent. But looking back, Laura is proud of who her mom was and what she had accomplished. It was difficult, for sure it was difficult, but... I I had the feeling that she was doing better. You know, she was depressed when dad left, but I had the feeling that she was picking herself up and we were going to be okay. With Russell Johnson confessing to Doris Brown's murder, Laura and the rest of her family became part of a group of people who shared a common bond, a connection formed by grief. Yet, a determination to ensure that the man who took their loved ones away would never have the chance to harm anyone else. Every year since 1992, the families of Russell Johnson's victims have traveled to Penetanguishing to attend his review board hearing. Laura spoke about that experience. So I understand why, if you find somebody not guilty, that you can't just lock them up and throw away the key because what you're saying is that there's a, there is a mental illness there. Right. And there are people, for example, that have psychotic breaks or that are schizophrenic, you know, where there is treatment and where they could potentially improve. And so, you know, if you're going to say that somebody is not criminally responsible, you cannot just lock them up and throw away the key. But in the absence of new treatment or new pharmacology or new, you know, understanding of the illness, uh, it becomes just a very repetitive process. And he doesn't, he, like the last two times, he wasn't even really asking for anything. He, he, in fact, last time the lawyer said, well, Russell just wants his hearing. So it's a bit of a game because it, there seems to be pretty solid agreement that he, he's, there is no cure. He has a cocktail of psychopathies that are not curable. And so year after year, it's the, you know, they, 
they come to the same conclusion, and we have to hope that they will continue to come to the same conclusion, but there's nothing new. So he occasionally floats the idea, I guess, of being moved to a less secure facility. But the um, conclusion there was that, first of all, it would put, like, if it was a co-ed facility, then any women that are in a mental hospital are extremely vulnerable. And, and you can't have that. And secondly, in order to guarantee the safety of the people around him and his security, you'd have to have more staff than they are able to spare. So it's just, it's a very repetitive, um, same things happen year after year after year. It's important because he needs to stay where he is. But there's nothing really can be accomplished, I don't think, on, on his end. And do you think that result would be different if the families haven't, hadn't been doing what they've been doing for so many years? I don't have any idea. I have heard that there were times in the past when there were psychiatrists that wanted to move him to a lower security. Laura has attended hearings for the past few years since she retired, and she described what it was like being in the same room as the man who killed her mother. You're in the same room, but he, they, he doesn't like to face the families, so they sit him perpendicular so that he doesn't have to look at the family. And he's quite far away, like his lawyer and his team are in between him and the family. That they used to have him facing the family, but he objected to it because he said it was intimidating. And Russell Johnson has never shown any remorse or apologized to his victims' families. It would be meaningless anyway. I don't think he's capable of remorse. There's no expression of remorse I, that I think would satisfy the, the families. I don't know. I think it would be meaningless. I asked Laura how she felt about the man who murdered her mother, and her answer was surprising. I don't hate him or, you know, I, I think his life is a tragedy as well. You know. Little boys, uh, sorry, little kids don't dream of being psychopaths when they grow up. No. They dream of Um, being like firefighters or football players or whatever. So, and I don't know what happened. I don't know why he is the way he is, but his, his life is tragic too. But he just has to stay put. And I think the the thinking of the families is whatever you have to do to show your face and say, no, he has to stay where he is. There's no 
well, I, maybe I feel differently, but there's no hatred. There's no anger. It's just, um, sorry, but that's the way it has to be. It's just a tragedy all around. As you it said. is. It, the whole thing is, is tragic. No one would choose that for their life. I just can't, I can't rustle up any hatred. Laura does not hate the man who killed her mother, but she knows he should never be released. You know, if he ever hurts anyone again, it will be the fault of of the people who should be keeping him where he's at. Like, we know he's not criminally responsible, so who is responsible? It's the review board. Mm-hmm. And so, and... So that I think the families are there to ensure that people remember who's responsible for keeping him in a place where he is safe and the public is safe. Laura will continue to attend the review board hearings for Russell Johnson every year, along with the family members of his other victims. And their determination and commitment has not gone unnoticed. Well, those families have built up some kind of a, a culture because I can't remember who it was. One of the like the, when the time I was in Penetang, one of the women came out, like the one of the lawyers, and she said, "I've never seen this many people show up for one of these hearings." There were, I think, thirty-five of us. Wow! But she she came out and she just said, "I just want to tell you, this is remarkable." How many more trips will there be to Penetanguishing? No one knows for sure, but they will always be there. Laura and the other families will not let their loved ones be forgotten. This is our job now. As they lay sleeping, Remembering the Crimes of Russell Johnson is written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you enjoyed this story and others on Story Hunter Podcasts, please subscribe on Apple or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.